And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have yet another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Now, you know, I've got a bit of an issue, so I think I'm going to give up the entrepreneur stuff, but Eh, probably not. I realized that I'm not employable because I've worked for myself for so long. So I think I want to try to be a VC. I want to be a venture capitalist. I want to get on the other side of the table. I want to write checks. I want to make it happen for people. But I don't have a ton of experience with that. Now, Matt Watson and I, via full scale, have invested over a million dollars in startups in the last little over a year but I don't consider myself a VC. So in order to figure out how to be one, I brought in a subject matter expert. Now, before I get too far into this, I do need to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. With me today, I have Grace Gong. Grace is the founder and host of the Smart Venture Podcast. She's written a couple books, one of which is titled How to Be a VC. It's amazing that the timeliness of her being available right at this pivotal moment where I'm thinking of becoming a VC. So Grace, welcome to Startup Hustle. Wow, uh, Matt, thank you so much for having me. This intro is uh, yeah, super <laughs> exciting. <laughs> well, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you supporting my consideration of a career change here. Now, um, for those of you that want to learn more about Grace and the book that she's written, just scroll down, click the show notes, or go to howtobeavc.com. She's also, once, I, once again, I want to mention, is the host of the Smart Venture Podcast. And Grace, before we get too far into this, and before I figure out how to be a VC, give me a little bit about you. What's your backstory? You know, what, what, what brought you to wanting to research this topic and maybe even who did you talk to along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I will start with, um, so I, like after school, I moved to San Francisco and I was doing like a normal job and I uh, started encountering a lot of entrepreneurs in the Bay Area. And um, a lot of them, like they're in the same age group as me and they started a company. And I just started asking them, hey, how do you start companies? And uh, like basically they were telling me how they raise funding, how they do marketing, how they find a co-founder and all that. And one day I went to a, a startup conference. I've seen like everybody else was asking about the same questions. So I decided to um, put together a book. So basically helping entrepreneurs to, you know, um, just like to to make things more smoother to uh, when they're trying to creating their own uh, career path as an entrepreneur. And after I was like, after I put together my first book, I realized that like one of the major um 
I wouldn't say issue, but like a, one of the major uh, concern a lot of people have before getting into entrepreneurship is can they actually raise funding and how do they raise money? And so basically that become a question. And I realized that everybody was saying you have to have a network of VC. You have to have a network to introduce you to VC. And eventually, like I decided to um, put together a book where I interviewed uh, 22 investors on the Forbes Midas list. So those are investors who invest in Facebook, Twitter, Apple, and all the top iconic um, companies. And so basically, um, I was just asking them, hey, like before you become a VC, what do you do? And uh, when, you, when it comes to investing, how do you kind of coming up with your own fees? What do you look for in in companies? So basically, all that uh, covered in uh, in my book. Well, I think that's an interesting approach. Uh, I have yet to talk to someone <coughs> who wanted to raise funds for a potential startup, so researched how to be a VC. Now, I got to say that's it's. I think it's a clever approach because I think if you can begin to put yourself. I mentioned uh, when I was joking on the way in and people, I'm not giving it up. I'm going to stay an entrepreneur. So, but with that, you know, having some understanding of where the person is that's across the table from you. And I don't mean literally location, like where their head's at, what they had to go through to raise the funds for the fund, uh, what they look for. And a lot of this now I'm willing to bet that there was some kind of recurring theme Mm-hmm. or echo that you heard as you continued to talk to all these different people. Is that true? Absolutely. Um, I think like there are probably, I could think of three different themes that I've seen uh, everyone else was mentioning. Uh, number one is definitely being persistent. Um, a lot of the VCs, they were entrepreneurs themselves. So they went through the hurdle of like raising funding and find, like creating a, a successful startup and they understand the pain. And I think what they're looking for is absolutely a one is like being really persistent. Uh, you know, a lot of people are saying that like, it, it, like as long as an entrepreneur don't really give up, you can't really uh, quote unquote fail anything. So uh, I think that being persistent definitely really matters. And I think number two would be um, just really like, you know, not only you need to do a good job on like whatever you do, but also you have to present it. You have to have the ability to sell uh, whatever uh, your services or like sell yourself to uh, venture capitalists. So I think the selling skill is definitely really, really important. Um, so and I think the third one is just constantly learning, like uh, whoever can adapt to uh, the current culture the fastest would win. So that's like a, a theme that I've heard from after chatting with these people. Okay, so now in my own experience, I have talked to so many different investors that do, I mean, different types of capital too, like some making equity investments, some do non-dilutive capital, some do this, some do that. One of the things that I've found is, okay, so I always ask uh, the, the same question anytime we get into an investor, and it makes a lot of sense. I say, do you like to bet on the jockey or the horse? And I'll define that. So a jockey is the founder. Those are the founding team. Those are the people that are, and, and the horse is the idea, the product, mm-hmm. or perhaps your approach to disrupting something. So I, ha- I get a unanimous response from investors where they say the jockey. Uh, they want to invest in people. Mm-hmm. And obviously, people need to have a good idea and a product, but a great 
So a great product or idea without mm-hmm. the right people was a bad bet. Did you did you find a similar uh, a similar sentiment from those that you talked mm-hmm. to? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, betting on the people is definitely um, like the, the 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 what most people are saying. Um, you have to yeah, like I think the founders matter way much more than the idea for sure. Okay, so you know, and, and with that, I mean, I th- now. Here's the issue, though. If you're a first-time founder, mm-hmm. that could be a little bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned the sales part. Uh, was there anything for first-time founders, or even in your own experience, that helped them raise their profile as a jockey? Yeah. Um, so I think like a lot of the things that I can think of would be uh, just like demonstrate from your track record. Um, I've heard from other investors that um, they would be looking for someone um you know, in the past shows that like, you know, maybe they were uh, encountering some sort of like uh a challenge. So how do they solve that challenge and all that? So like, I think uh, you don't have to create like a startup before you are, uh, you know, be, like to demonstrate that you're a jockey, but you, you can demonstrate it from uh, other experiences that you have in the past. Yeah. And to, it's, so to support that on some level, and if you want to be a VC, I think one of the things you want to look out for and avoid is that first time founder that says, Hey, you know what? I want to get into AI. And you look at it and you're like, okay, well, what's your experience with AI? Are you a developer? Did you work for an AI company? Do you know anything about it? No, but I really think it's cool and I want to get into it. That wouldn't be a very good fit for most VCs in my experience. Do, do you agree or disagree? Um, I think like I think if someone who is trying to create a company with no experience in AI, uh, in, in the past in that category, I, if I were the founder, I would probably really uh, trying my best to get to know people in the industry and then getting a better understanding of like what it is. I think uh, doing my research before going into investor, I, I personally would never really uh, go go to investor or go to like someone without doing any researches. Um, if, 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 if that's okay. uh, that, that, that's uh, the situation. Sure. And like, like I said, is, is, you know, you had, you made a comment earlier about the sales thing and I was actually recorded a different episode of startup hustle the other day. And I was talking to someone about this exact thing and, you know, investors want to invest in people they want, but the thing is, is if you don't have the ability to sell your own idea, if you don't have the ability to sell your own product, Uh, A CEO should be a company's best salesperson. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they are, as the business grows, that they are out there knocking on doors and cold calling people. It, It evolves. Now, Mickey Mouse is in many ways the CEO of Disneyland or world Mm -hmm. or wherever you're at. Now with that, he's a great salesperson. He stands out in front of the magical kingdom and he's like, Hey everybody, come on in. You recognize me. You know me, come in, spend your money, bring everyone. Now where you don't see Mickey Mouse is behind the cash register at the gift shop or emptying the trash cans or other Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So that sales component is, is pretty big. And I think that a lot of, a lot of, uh, especially in the tech world, because so many people become product centric, 
they don't ever really wrap their arms around what they're going to do to ever sell something. And, you know, the, the constant, if you want to be a VC or you want to make investments, I think one of the traps you have to try to avoid is the company that just wants to raise capital, raise capital, raise capital, and doesn't seem to have a go-to-market plan or strategy. Um, what did you did you uncover any sentiment with the, the, the those you interviewed for your book about like past the founder and and some industry experience like what they really like to see? Um, I think that really depends on the industry. Uh, I think each different like so it depends on like where the founder is trying to create a company. Like what's the industry like, and then what's our past experiences like? Um, I feel like there wasn't any uh, one like one solution fits all kind of things. Um, so I think uh, depends on if you're a really high technical founder and then your uh, key selling point is your technology uh, or like that. that's really different from like, you know, if I'm a, a you know, consumer tech investor, I'm, uh, you know, creating the next Alberts uh, or like anything that's along that line. I think um, investor would be probably looking for very different indicators um, from uh, from the entrepreneurs. Okay, so, you know, another thing that I found interesting recently is that, you know, there's, there's AI, and I mentioned that just kind of jokingly earlier about a, a fictional founder that wants to be an AI but had no experience. There's some automated things that are coming out uh, recently that are intended to make a, a, a VC's approach a little more logical. Um, in the past, uh, I mentioned feeling good about the jockey and not really caring as much about the horse is, is a gut feeling. It's it's not as tangible or easy to wrap your arms around. Uh, you know, with that, that's starting to signal some changes in the whole venture capital space. Did uh, you find in any reports or sentiment related to the way the market's changing or or perhaps the approach at identifying opportunities by VCs? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's a, you brought up a really interesting point, right? Like, so, uh, you know, can VCs really replaced by technology? And I actually was asking uh like Paul Madera, like he invests in uh, Facebook and Salesforce. And I, I was asking him about, uh, you know, like I've seen a lot of com uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, I was say I want to say a lot of, but like there were Silicon Valley fund that using algorithm to sort of like predict uh, the, the performance of a startup. And um, I think like, you know, like I, I would definitely recommend people to check out that episode in uh, episode four. Um, but from my personal perspective, um, af after I've seen uh, the performance of a certain type of VC firm, I think um, a lot of it comes down to, you know, who, uh, like, you know, who invests in these companies. Uh, so I think like maybe these algorithms uh, are tracking the, the performance of a startup. But I think one of the things maybe mattered a lot is who invests in these, uh, like, you know, are those investors who demonstrate a certain level of track record, basically. Um, I think like, I think that's so that what that translate into uh, what, like something replaced by technology. I think, you know, you, uh, I think, first of all, you never know, but I think it really comes down to uh, the people who made these decisions and how, uh, you know, like, I, I think, I think it really, I think it's really hard to be replaced, full on replaced by, by, by technology, uh, like so far, but maybe, maybe in the future. 
I'm looking forward to a day where I can replace myself with technology. I'm okay with that. Everyone's trying to build chat bots. I want to build a mat bot. So uh, maybe I'll get around to that at some point. Yeah, you know, the the whole the whole idea of investing in people or companies uh, also has an evolution about it. And that's part of what we were just talking about is when and where can technology make a difference. Uh, one thing that I've noticed in my observation and relationships with different investors and VCs is they are very patternistic in the fact that they often follow the trends that each other mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like it, it's funny, they're wildly competitive. So one one might not want to invest in a company, then they find out the guy across the street is and now they both want to be in. And there's a bunch of different stuff. I also noticed, like, okay, so for example, I, I talked to a, a local investor in January who was telling me how much they hated ed tech. I had a conversation with that person a month or two ago in which they were like, I love ed tech. And I didn't, I didn't stop and say, you know, I just had a conversation with you a couple months ago and you were telling me how much you hated it. But obviously, COVID-19 and coronavirus put a newfound emphasis on ed tech mm-hmm. and made it sexy again. So um, do, do you, have you found with your, with, both with your podcast and the interviews that you did for your book that uh, a lot of these folks are, are trending and they kind of flock together with whatever they, they like, need or want industry wise. Um, I think that actually probably happened to every industry um, because I think things probably happen for a reason. Uh, as you mentioned, the uh, the situation, the quarantine situation changed. And so people probably will look like look into like studying online way more than, you know, studying offline. Um, so I, I feel like a lot of things would be controlled by the situation itself. Um, so another thing is I definitely feel like the the, the trend kind of situation happens in every industry. So, you know, when you're reading like something on Vogue, like you could see the design of, uh, you know, couple like some sort of design of a couple uh, different brands look almost uh, super similar. So I, I feel like that uh, really is depending on like, I think that's just happening in every industry. <laughs> Sure. And, you know, so a few years ago, so much money and it still is continuing to pour into things like uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, And then obviously, I mean, some of this is just market need and and what it's based on. Now, I'm not saying that the conversation that I had in January meant that ed tech is garbage. It just Mm -hmm. wasn't as it just wasn't as sexy or it didn't have the level of urgency that it certainly has now. Now, that said, anybody that was like, you know, we always need education. We always, there will always be technology to support it and different stuff. Like those people are looking pretty smart right now (laughs) with the stuff that they have coming out. And then there are certain industries right now that are in the garbage can, you know, like just like failing. I mean, anything involving uh, entertainment or travel and on some levels automotive is struggling. And you know, with did you have did you get any did you have your finger on the pulse of of anything that seems to be emerging down the road? Uh, yeah. So I think like the current situation definitely really pushed things leaning more towards um the auto like automation or like you know 
people probably don't have to be in a certain location to do good work. Um, I was chatting with a couple of founders about like, you know, how they're running their businesses. Like, you know, even they raise like, like, you know, more than like $70 million, they would uh, run the, their startup really, really lean. They outsource everything and they only have like 20 people on their team. So I was quite surprised because they look like a million dollar, well, they are million dollar businesses. <laughs> But yeah, like I've, I was quite surprised that they don't really own their like own, like, you know, office anymore. Um, I feel like this would be, um, you know, the, the, the current situation definitely accelerate how people work uh, automatically, I think. Sure. And some of the things that, you know, so at Full Scale, once again, today's episode, Startup Hustle mm -hmm. is brought to you by FullScale.io, helping <laughs> you build a software team quickly and affordably. Now, we had some clients that are in the mm -hmm. tele space, meaning anything that's virtual or online. Uh, well, one of them got acquired by mm -hmm. another company and the others that are in that space really, really mm -hmm. took off. Um, took off both from a user perspective and also from the ability to gain capital. Sometimes there is timing that is involved with all of them. I mean, not sometimes, like it's mm -hmm. almost always has something to do with timing. Now, you can be early, you can be late, and you can also be somewhat oppor opportunistic. And, you know, so some of the things that at, at the point of recording this podcast, uh, it, AI and machine learning continue to, to be hot. Tele, anything, anything that's virtual online, uh, efficiency tools that help uh, businesses manage in the cloud, you know, anything mm -hmm. that helps you manage a remote team. Look at how many companies well, we used to have a fancy recording studio for Startup Hustle, and now I'm in an extra bedroom of my home. And, uh, you know, with that, we recorded our first three episodes of this show all in person with our guests. Now, we got forced into a welcome and wanted change because you're in San Francisco. I'm in Kansas City. If that had been the case mm -hmm. six months ago, you wouldn't have ever been a guest on the show. So it's and, you know, that's a tiny, tiny example of kind of that forced evolutionary process but you know another some of the other things obviously educational technology are taking off and then one thing that i think is cool and welcome and 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 like i don't know why this wasn't occurring before but a lot of the uh, black lives matter and the mm -hmm. the protests have really sparked a lot of investment into minority founders and stuff like that and i've talked to some of them and they're they're like Oh man, I've been waiting for this. It's time and it's happened. And, and, but that's mm -hmm. an example of, of timing and being on top of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, now in order to be on top of it, I, in my opinion, you need to be prepared. And mm -hmm. if you're, if you want to be a VC or you're making investments and someone shows up to their pitch or their presentation and they do not have their shit together, that's a red flag, get out. You know, so it, it, it does your does your book or your podcast, do you uh, talk to any of these folks about the things that they look for when they want to avoid an investment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like there were um, I think that I think like in the episode with um promote Huck. Like I asked him about, you know, why he uh, didn't invest in like clean tech technology. And I, I think like that, that, that was a really interesting story. And uh, for me personally, I feel like, um, like things to avoid really like depends, like based on people um, depends on like what industry, like 
do they have expertise in? Um, so I've seen, I think like, I also had conversation with Charles Motto on, uh, like why, like, you know, like, so like he was talking about like, you know, he is a fintech, if he is a, he invests in a lot of fintech companies and, uh, like, you know, what, why do you invest in a certain company? Why do you not invest in a certain company? I think like what, um, when it comes to like, after I think about like the answers from multiple people or just like chatting with a lot of founders. I think uh, if you want to make an investment or make a good investment, you have to be an expert in a particular industry. You have to really deep dive into uh, a particular industry than uh, just, you know, I think like spread the money into like different sectors. And I, I deeply believe like whenever you, you're making an investment, you really have to uh, try your best to become that, uh, that industry's expert, you know, uh, researching all the competitors uh, b- b- before making a move. And in terms of like what that translates into entrepreneurs, uh, I personally think uh, you really need to, uh, you know, research all the competitors and um, research like every single thing before um, uh, ma- making, making your moves. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play off that for a second. So uh, it was oh I don't know a year ago I was talking to I had just finished a meeting uh, with a local founder who wanted us to invest in her company, and I loved the founder, I loved the idea, and then mm-hmm. I told her I wasn't going to invest, and she said, mm-hmm. "Why? Uh, you seem like you're you are into what I'm doing. I said, I'm into what you're doing, but I have no ability to add any value <laughs> to your business other than you know providing resources or capital." Now, for for me and and the other Matt Matt Watson, who has honestly invested in more stuff than I have, and we've still done a lot together. Uh, if we can't, if we don't understand what it is your business does and can't provide value in that, in that regard, then we will exclude ourselves. And I, I think if you want to be a VC or you want to make investments and much like Grace said is, you know, you need to, you need to do things that are somewhat centric around your area of expertise. Now, you'll even see that. I mean, that's why there are biotech funds or different, you know, funds in different stages and they want to trend towards uh, having, there's so many things, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so many things that investors could point their money at. And you're much like I advise startup founders, you're best to try to be really good at one thing before Mm -hmm. you try to be good at six and, and, you know, so some of that is on the how to be a VC thing. If you if you have a history of working in X industry, then that's what you should be centric around as an investor, because otherwise, I'll be honest, you're going to put money into things that you have no clue what you're putting into. Now, one of the things I want to expand on this, I, I mentioned not being prepared. Um, so I, I event, investors, I compare them to great base. The good ones are like great base hitters in baseball and the hitters in baseball that have the highest batting average and are in the hall of fame. They wait for the pitch that they want in the spot that they want. And then they take a swing. And that means that they say no a lot and take a lot of pitches and don't swing. Um, successful investors are, are very disciplined in that regard and will wait for that 
exact opportunity. Um, my in our past experience with here on Startup Hustle with different people that are writing checks, uh, they'll commonly say, you know, we'll look at a hundred deals and maybe take one. Uh, did you get any input from from those that you had conversations with about? about that discipline in investing or how often or little they are actually making moves? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I found really uh, interesting and surprising uh, back in time before I um, started like working in venture myself, like was um, they were really like, I think a lot of the investors are really active on finding deals themselves. Like, um, so I thought, you know, as a VC, you can just sit at, at your office and like there's thousands of people sending you a pitch deck. Um, but I've seen like, I've seen people mentioning that like a lot of the most successful deals are the ones that they try to go after and uh, they would research an industry. They would pick like who they felt like would be the winner and they successfully invest in these companies and uh, these companies become really, really amazing. So that really like, I feel like that really says a lot on like, you know, I think in every industry you need to, um, yeah, like I, I want to say like waiting, but like it's more like, you know, going there, go, going out, going after uh, uh, like whatever you think fits best with uh, with your thesis. And uh, another piece you mentioned is timing. I think timing is absolutely really important. Um, I've seen people like succeed, uh, su like successfully, uh, you know, creating companies and like, you know, just because of like the timing was was right like the market was ready for their product and uh you know in the maybe like five years prior to uh them creating a certain company uh like five years ago if these kind of ideas may not be uh that successful because people wasn't really uh you know like buying into that idea yet uh so it wasn't the market wasn't necessarily ready for that yeah yeah. And I think that that's just good advice in general. I think if you're sitting around and waiting for opportunity to come find you, um, you're going to probably not have a whole lot of great opportunities to cash in on. Um, I, I say be the hunter, not the prey. Now, <laughs> um, I mean, that's a smart approach, you know, like, and I, I, for, from the VC perspective, so whether you're a founder and you're wanting to raise capital or you're thinking of investing, I mean, here's the thing. Here's the reality. You got, I think you got to have a reality, a, a realistic slash optimistic approach to all of it. And with a realistic approach is if you're just taking a list that you found off of, say, Crunchbase that has a bunch of investors. And, and by the way, you'll come up with a nearly unlimited amount of them. So now you say, you know what? I know this is a numbers game. The more I put this out there, the more opportunity I'm going to, the more eyes I put it in front of, the better chance I have. That is correct. But on the realistic approach for that, keep in mind, there's a whole lot of other ambitious, hopeful people that are doing the exact same thing. So in order to, you got to, you got to, so how are you going to differentiate yourself? How are you going to stand out when it comes to, uh, when it comes to your business and the investor? Cause they're getting there. Some of these places are seeing hundreds of deals and opportunities a week. And here's the practical reality. You can't. All right. So let's just say you've got, if you got 40 options a week 
and you'd spend an hour on each one of them, that's a full-time employee's full-time day or week. And so the thing is, is there's some things that I've learned and I do myself that will immediately get you excluded. One of which, okay, there's a couple things like, okay, if you're starting a, uh, if you're trying to start your .com, do not have me email you at your Gmail or Yahoo address. Uh, I mean, I see it. It happens a lot. They're like, hey, I want to start XYZ.com. And if you're interested, email me Matt at Gmail. I'm like, you know, so it just makes, doesn't make you look that great. Another thing too, is just your basic presentation. Like if it's garbage, you're probably going in the trash can. Cause when it comes to the volume that some of these places see is if it just, if it doesn't look like you are serious or in the business of whatever it says that you do trash, it ends up in the trash, you know, and, and that's just a time and efficiency thing. Another thing is get right to the point like immediately in your pitch deck, like, who are you? What do you do? What do you need? What do you want? What are you solving? What's the opportunity? You know, like get right mm-hmm. after it. Um, you know, what was the, did anybody express any, any certain things that are going to guarantee to get your pitch deck or your request in the trash can? Uh, I think, um, I haven't really asked this question, but I, I think like a lot of, um, I think like one of the fastest way for entrepreneur to get in front of a VC and then the VC actually took them seriously is to, um, I would say, build a network and then let your network to introduce you to the VC. So that will probably give you more credibility. So uh, at least your, your your pitch deck would be revealed by, uh, by them uh, instead of just sending like a bunch of cold emails. Um, I think like I... Uh, I've heard the really um, like repetitive like advice from people or like uh, like multiple times I've heard this is like the advice that they give is to, you know, uh, go go to your network and like, you know, figure out like who, you know, that who also knows the VC and, uh, you know, trying to get a warm introduction than uh, just uh, sending a lot of emails uh, from like, you know, you know, Matt at gmail.com. So yeah. So, so once again, if you're trying to start a dot com, please do not use a webmail. Um, so, you know, the, and, and you have a good point there. Um, and the reason for that is so and it really is related to the inundation of of opportunity. And, you know, you talk about 100 deals coming through even in a month, like that's a lot. And it's a lot to look through. It takes time. It takes effort. It, uh, it takes focus and they have to care. Um so, you know, the thing is, is like, there's just some, some things that matter. Now, in regards to you actually, now, if you get an opportunity to talk to a VC, or if you are making investment, um, you know, there's something that I, tr- I, I really try, a point that I really try to drive home is once you have that person on the phone, on the screen, or in the conference room, mm-hmm. Be very brief and exact. Be concise and short. Do not like lead with the need. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, you know, talk about who you are and what you're offering and what you do right away. I was, was actually in a pitch once and uh, the person was going on and on and on. One of the other people in the room, literally at about the 10 minute mark said, hey, I, what do you do? Like what is like we were 10 minutes into it and we, and, and I was thinking the same thing and it's, you know, had no 
reasonable idea 10 minutes in what that company was going to do. And at that point, you've lost, you've lost the listener. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's a fair assumption to just start with believing that most investors are type A personalities, usually a high type A. They are, they want to get down to the bottom line, they perceive themselves as being busy, and their time is valuable. And you Mm -hmm. should assume that you probably only have 10% of their attention anyway. Um, so you got to do something to, you know, to capture that and not glaze their eyes over. Now, one of the things that, so in Kansas city last year, I was at the Kansas city tech council CEO retreat, which is an amazing event that's hosted at the founder of Cerner. Cerner is one of the world's largest medical software creators is at his ranch, And there was a VC panel and I was sitting there and I was listening. And one of the things that they said was, don't be afraid to come sell me on your big dream. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and and I think that's important because like back to that law of numbers. And if you're trying to be a VC or you're trying to approach them, once again, they hear a lot of chatter. So you're like, oh, I think we could do okay. Things that drive me crazy is when people are like, We'll never need to raise money again. I mm-hmm. everybody I know that uh, that raises capital will tell you that they've said that at some point, right before they went out to raise capital again shortly thereafter. And then other things too. If you just don't sound like you're passionate or have belief in your big vision, mm-hmm. like that is contagious. Like, why would I want to write you a big check when you struggle? We mentioned that in the very beginning of this episode, the sales part. So go in there. Like if, if it's something that is like your enthusiasm, your passion and your energy are very obvious and very contagious. Now that's a challenge for some people. Have you learned anything or have any input on how to over so many people are afraid of speaking to anybody Mm -hmm. or they kind of struggle under pressure. Have you, have you heard any good advice or input about how to get past that part in your own personality style? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I when I started like uh, being at my investing job, I, I think the first week um, I thought it was really, really overwhelming because like I wouldn't like a lot because I was uh, doing my job in China. I lived in the U.S. for the past like, uh, you know, since 2009 or something. And then now, like, you know, I went to China in 2018 for my investing job. And when I encounter the entrepreneur a lot of times I don't know really like that much I don't have that much input on like what whatever they were saying because of like uh back in time like you, you know even I was originally from China like I wouldn't know like what like what exactly would like I should add into their conversation and I I got a lot of times like don't really know what to say and but I think that just take practice after like a week I probably met like uh 10 20 uh different entrepreneurs I feel like I could get a hold of like you know how to talk to people again uh and so like I think it, it just really comes down to practice and um like no matter you're pitching someone or you're uh you know like getting like just like 
uh, listening to the pitches or like giving people feedback. I think both takes a lot of practice. You have to do that a million times before uh, you're actually ready. And like, I personally feel like uh, it just really goes in like, in every different industry, no matter what you do, uh, you really have to start somewhere and you have to repetitively like doing it and then trying your best to uh, uh, improve based on what you have done. Yeah, and I think it, it, we've had so many conversations on this show about presentation and stuff like that. And it really does continue to come down to practice and you got to you got and you really should be practicing it. Uh, I think people also approach practicing their pitch and their presentation the wrong way because you should have someone. Well, it's one thing to do it by yourself. It's another thing to do it to people. Do it with distractions. Do it with mm -hmm. interruptions. Mm -hmm. Make sure that someone can stop you in your presentation, mm -hmm. ask you a question, and then mm -hmm. you can restart without being completely frazzled mm -hmm. or uh, where was I? I see that mm -hmm. a lot. I think that's where the whole... Uh, I think that's where a failure occurs for many people because they me try to memorize something word for word, and then they're unable to re-enter that presentation unless they're starting at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to be the way it's going to go. Like you will mm -hmm. typically, if you do get in front of a VC uh, or an investor, like you usually have a finite amount of time, uh, be very short and concise with it. If you make your presentation way too long, you're going to either lose interest or you're going to burn up time when it comes to them having any kind of question or input. Now, that said, and we are talking about things to how to be a VC, if you're sitting on the investment side of the table, um, and one thing you should be aware of that isn't, it's not, in, it's not an insult uh, as, a, as a founder if you hear this, but most investors, once the moment that they know that they're not in, they'll stop you. Uh, and, I, you know, they're, hey, uh, I really appreciate your time. I like your energy. I like what you're doing, but this isn't what we do. This isn't this isn't an area or a field that we invest in. And that's back to that 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 cent, you know being centric on different stuff. So if you're out there trying to raise capital and you're a biotech company and you're well, okay, let's whatever. Well, a services company. So technically, full scale is a tech services company. And here's the thing, uh, there's just a ton of companies that don't invest in service businesses. So if they don't, then I'm wasting my time chasing them. And if you're trying to learn how to be an investor or be involved in investors, look, the moment you know you're not buying, it's okay. You're Save that person time. Save yourself time. You don't have to be like, stop. I hate this. No, you don't have to do that. But it's okay to, you know, not pursue anything. So well, with, with us again today is Grace Gong. And Grace is the author of How to Be a VC. I bought a copy of your book a while back when you first booked to be on the show. Uh, her book is a collection of conversations with a whole lot of really well-known VCs. By the way, congratulations on getting all those people to even pay attention and answer your questions. <laughs> like that can, that can be tough. It can. And um, you know, and uh, as we wrap up this episode of Startup Hustle, which once again is brought to you by FullScale.io, um, what what when it comes to the book you wrote, um, what what's what were what were what was your key takeaway from talking to all these different people? 
Oh, I think um, just be persistent about what you do. Like, if no matter which industry you decided to go into, um, I think really believe in yourself and just keep pushing. Like, you know, you don't stop at uh, wherever. Uh, you know, like just like don't stop. <laughs> I think that's a great. I mean, well, here's the thing too: is uh, you know the the process. So episode two of startup hustle which is so like it feels like 300 episodes away <laughs> i know almost 400 uh, by the time this comes out we will have probably be right around so really close so that said it's episode two is titled raising raising money sucks and it does and I, i'm just gonna tell you if you haven't done it before it sucks i'm gonna confirm it once again 400 episodes later i have not proved that theory wrong so why does it suck? It sucks because it's really humbling. You know, so many of, of us as entrepreneurs, we're really ego driven. And, you know, we think we're awesome. And in our world, we're the CEO or someone that's in charge. You know, I have 200 employees. And, and while I, I take the approach that they all work with me, I mean, from the outside on the org chart, I'm at the top of it. So, you know, then you go into an investor meeting and they just blow you up. You know, they'll tell you everything that's wrong with you, with your business, with your approach, so on and so forth. Now, that said, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, any willing and interested buyer has objections. If they're still sitting there and talking to you, hey, people, you're still in the game. You are in the game until you're not. And if you're not persistent, someone else that's out there that is, is going to beat you. And guess what? That's me on many days. Like I just don't stop. I have a motor that never shuts off. And sometimes you look at so many things, like you look at like fighting or stuff like that. It's the scrappy, can't knock you down. We'll get up off the mat. We'll wear you out. We'll be persistent. That has passion, energy, and just urgh. Like, but that matters. And look, that's what investors are looking for. And if you're investing, that's what you should be looking for. Why? Because those are the people that aren't going to quit when shit gets tough. And, and that matters. And say those exact words. If you're trying to raise capital, say that. Say, you know what? I don't quit. You want to know why you should invest in me? Because I don't quit. I'm not going to quit when it gets tough. In fact, I will work harder. And you, if you can express that and really get that energy or emotion across the table or through the Zoom room or any of that, you're going to be in a better place than the people that are like, okay, well, I look forward to hearing back from you. And then they're sitting on their hands and waiting. Be the hunter and not the prey. Now, Grace, thank you so much for joining me. For those of you that want to hear, she, you really have a lot of podcast episodes with some very interesting founders and uh, and and VCs and people. That's like, check it out, uh, howtobeavc.com. Um, I, I think your advice of putting yourself and your approach of putting your learning uh, how inve who investors are and how they work is is very clever and very smart. So thank you for what you've created for the world of entrepreneurs. Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, I really appreciate that you are taking the time chatting with me too. Yep. See you next time. See you next time. 
Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.